Good morning and welcome to Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, delve deep into the really gnarly world of self-publishing, writing books, becoming an author and all of the cool stuff connected with that. And every week we have a special guest joining us and this week we are thrilled to have with us Adrian Giordano, romantic suspense and mystery author, who is here to tell us a really, really exciting story that Craig and I were both just uh, so stoked to be able to share with everybody. So good morning, Adrian. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you. Good morning to both of you. And Craig, the man himself, uh, an author, obviously, and the owner and founder of Hidden Gems. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, thanks, Roland. Yeah, Adrian, we're so happy to have you on. I know you told me a bit about the story that led up to this. So basically, I mean, what we really want to talk about in general is the idea of audiobook recording. Um, we've talked a little bit before on pod uh, previous podcasts about um, you know having a professional recording, and and we had a couple um, uh, audiobook. Um, uh, manager, or, uh, you know, record people producers. that are experts in it, producers. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, <laughs> and they were saying, you know, you want to make sure you have uh, a professional person doing the recording and stuff. But, um, you know, the other option was the route that you went where you actually hired yourself a coach to help you mm-hmm. learn how to become uh, an audiobook recorder for your own book. Um, and yes. the reason why you did that, I think, is leads into, you know, the story that we were talking about. So it's a really interesting story. So I think let's let's hear from that um, sort of what what brought you to that stage in the first place. OK, um, I one of the mystery books that I've written is called Into the Fire. And on the cover, my co-writer is listed as Mary Jo Brissione. Well, Mary Jo was actually my cousin. And she was, you know, oh, gosh, I get emotional just even still talking about this. Such an amazing gift. Um, Growing up, Mary Jo was 20 years older than I was. I was the baby of the family and she was one of the oldest. And we come from a big Italian family. So, you know, I had 40 cousins on my mother's side. It was just, you know, and Mary Jo was, yeah, huge family. Um, and I probably had 30 or 40 on my father's side too. So I have cousins all over the place. Um, but Mary Jo was, you know, I was born, you know, in the sixties. So growing up, Mary Jo in the seventies was, she was fiercely independent. She was, you know, she was just a tremendous example to me of, what a strong independent woman looks like she never got married just not that she didn't want to get married but that she never found that person so she always took care of herself she was president of the teachers union she really just was a shining example of what a woman could be and she was my person you know whenever i had a problem i went to her and she probably, gosh, 10 years ago now, um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And during her last days, I was sitting with her talking. 
And for years, we had talked about my career and me wanting my dream, even from when I was a kid, my dreams of being a writer. And she was an English teacher by trade. So she had even edited some of my early work for me before I was querying. This was, you know, before the self-publishing boom, when I was querying and doing all that good stuff. Um, so I really felt like I knew her so well. And here she was just literally probably a week or two from passing. And she said to me, you know, I always wanted to be a writer, which just completely blew my mind because I didn't know that about her. So long story short, she sends me to her nightstand and tells me there's a blue folder in there. I pull out this giant Pendaflex folder that has copies of magazine articles and newspaper clippings, microfiche, which I'm totally dating myself, but you know, you can imagine the years she spent collecting all this research about a hotel fire in Puerto Rico, where at the time, it happened, I wanna say the mid eighties, at the time it was the largest hotel fire in history. And she was fascinated with this story. And she said to me, you know, I wanted to do like a retrospective on it and maybe do an article, send it to Vanity Fair or whatever, but I never got around to it. So we just started talking and I said to her, you know, I don't know anything about writing a retrospective, but I could probably write a book using a fiction book, using some of your research. And she, that made her so happy. So we spent, you know, a good couple of hours doing some loose plotting and she had all these ideas she wanted to include, you know, she wanted the lead character to be like an anti-mame, this, you know, very regal, lovely woman, and she wanted a secret service agent involved in this counterfeiting, you know, and she's telling me this story and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to put this all into a plot? So she, you know, a couple weeks later she passed on, but I had all these great notes. I had all of her research and it really, it took me probably a good five years to really get the nerve to do it because I, I just was so terrified of this project. So I get the book written and I've always been a big proponent of audio. I think audio is just, it's just a booming medium and it's another revenue stream. So I was talking to my husband one day because I was really struggling with finding a narrator for this book. I knew we needed a woman because the two main characters are an older woman and this cub reporter. And I said to my husband, like this project was so special to me that I said to him, I, I feel sorry for the narrator right now because <laughs> it's really not that I'm difficult to work with, but you know how it is when you have a project that's so special, you want it perfect. You want it as good as you can get it. And he just started to laugh because he knows I'm a bit of a perfectionist in that way. And he said, well, he said, did you ever think about doing it yourself? Which, you know, I nearly fell off the chair laughing because I had never even tried anything like that. And I think I told him he was crazy. And after I thought about it a little bit, I thought it, you know, it might be fun, 
might be something to explore, but I didn't know anything about even how to take that on. So I just started, you know, we're writers. What do we do? We do research. So I started researching how to narrate your own audiobook. And there's a ton of information out there. But I happened to find a link to an ACX blog. Uh, it was called something about ACX University. And it was just a group of videos about how to do an audiobook. And one of the hosts was this gal named Christine Vam. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I clicked on her link, and it, she's an she's a, a voice coach for audiobooks. She's a narrator herself, an award-winning narrator, but she's also a voice coach. So I reached out to her. I said, I have this just crazy idea that I want to try this. I don't know, you know, what I'm doing. So she and I hooked up on the phone, and she said to me, you know, she was very, first of all, she has a cousin that she's very close to. Like, this is where, as woo-woo as this sound, I feel like sometimes the universe is just in play. And when I told her the Mary Jo story, she got a little choked up. She said, I have a cousin like that. She said, I can't eat. She's like, I, I totally want to do this with you. She said, I don't know how we're going to do it, but let me think this through. I've never worked with an author on a project like this. So she came back to me in a couple of days and she actually put together a little package for me because she is also an audiobook producer. So she put together a little package for me with the voice coaching sessions and then she would help me through the process as far as getting me, you know, space booked at a recording studio and she would actually be in she's remote she's on the east coast i'm in chicago where she would be in my ear while i was in the recording studio so yes i was doing it on my own but i kind of had my own little director in the studio with me but we did we started with voice coaching which was really just in terms of creatively blew my mind because there were so many things I learned that could help me with the writing process. That was just fantastic. Wow. I mean, that's a fascinating story. And I, I think it's really inspiring too, that, you know, you were able to do this for your cousin um, and, you know, put together the book even after she passed to this, you know, to the, to the level that she was looking for, right. With all of the details and stuff. Uh, you had written books prior to that though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. probably written somewhere around 40 books. Right. And this was your genre anyway, the, like sort of the, this was a mystery. mystery. Yeah. I'm primarily romantic suspense. Uh, but I do have a, two different mystery series. Uh, so this was just a, a kind of a adjunct, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, but this was just a straight mystery. And it was, it was based on, true events because you said she had newspaper clippings yes she had it was this uh the dupont hotel fire which actually it's really sort of fascinating to read about um back in the 80s so she had pulled all of this research together uh so really what we did was we created a fictitious hotel and came up with a reason why this hotel caught fire yeah 
That, I mean, that's that's really cool. So it was her intention to write it herself one day? She wanted to write, she called it a retrospective. She wanted to write a magazine article. She, you know, her oh, dream okay. was to see it in Vanity Fair. Her thought was, you know, I would like to do a 25-year anniversary piece or a 20-year anniversary piece. And that that's how long she had been doing the research. Um and she just never got to it. So she, so her plan was to make it a sort of a news article based Correct. on the actual events, and Correct. you you took it and turned it into a, a fictional novel based on those events. Correct. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really really good. So you hooked up with this producer who's also a voice coach. Yes. Um, and. I love that it was in your ear. That's so. Oh my gosh. uh, Mission impossible. You know, (laughs) it really, you know, and again, you have the headphones on like the headphones you guys are wearing. That's what I had on in the booth and simple things like, you know, the shirt I wore the first day was a cotton kind of a button down. And, you know, those are kind of stiff sometimes. And she said to me, what am I hearing? And I hadn't even started speaking yet. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, this is the first time I've even been in one of these little phone booths. I don't know what you're hearing. And she said to me, you know, because she couldn't see me. She could yeah. hear me. She said, what are you wearing? And I said, I'm wearing, a, you know, a cotton button down. And she said, okay. She said, tomorrow, don't wear anything that's stiff like that because the microphone picks up everything. So I, luckily I was close enough to the studio where on lunch break, I ran home and changed into something, you know, a softer cotton material. Right. Wow. That's yeah. I would never have thought of that either. Yeah. I've no jangly that. jewelry, like earrings. She said, don't wear earrings. Don't wear any, like anything that will make noise and don't wear jeans. Cause again, jeans make that kind of rubbing sound. Yeah, it must be very different in a professional recording studio than it is when we're sitting here on our with our desks and our microphones, because I don't think it's picking anything up. (laughs) Yeah, no, it really it it was. And I mean, just the setting of the recording studio was the whole experience was just phenomenal for me, because when I walked into the studio, first of all, it's in this probably 150 year old building. And so the building itself was super cool and they take me downstairs and, you know, it looks like all the recording studios you see on TV with the giant room for all the instruments. And then he takes me back into where his little control room is. And there's just literally a little phone booth sized booth in the studio. But when I walked in, he opened the door and there was this, smell of weed that just hits you (laughs) and I burst out laughing and he just kind of looked at me and I you know I waved it off but there was a sofa in there they had all the instruments sitting down and all I could think about was these musicians sitting on these couches with their guitars just smoking pot (laughs) and making magic you know and it's just amazing and then he shows me the little tiny booth that I'll be sitting in. <laughs> yeah, so I guess um, they would have different uh, booths for 
people that are playing instruments and uh, like if a whole band, although I think they isolate each person so that they um, they're playing their own stuff. So maybe the singers would go in that kind of a booth that you're in. Yes, then, that's what he said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that makes more yeah. sense. <laughs> Very that, cool, that's, though. Yeah, that's totally how you see it on TV and imagine it, where everyone's smoking yeah. pot and just yeah. jamming and having a great time. Yeah, that's awesome. And it was, I, you know, I texted Christine. <laughs> you know, when he left the room, I said to her, "Oh my gosh, it totally smells like weed in here, and it's awesome." <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think it's great that you went to that level of professionalism, right? Because when I was thinking about it in terms of, you know, when you told me about this before that you recorded your own stuff, you got, it's great that you got um, the audio coach, which is something that I think a lot of people wouldn't even think to do. They'd be like, I'm just going to record my own thing and I'll just talk because I know how to talk. Right. Um, But you even went, so in my, in my imagination, I just figured you were doing it just like this, where you had a microphone and you just, on your computer but it's great that you actually went to a real recording studio and did it there too well and i think part of it was my own paranoia because i really i try so hard to put out stories that people will love like i really am so diligent about is this the best i can do at this moment, you know, really trying to give my best. So to just decide one day, okay, I'm going to narrate my own audio book when I've never even done this before, for me was just so far outside my comfort zone that I I was terrified. I was, I was really, I was truly terrified. And that was the deal Christine and I had because the amount of prep work I did for it. And that's the thing too, I think was shocking to me is how physically exhausting it is to do this type of work on a fiction book. Because, you know, with nonfiction, it's it's your story. So it's your voice, it's it's you. But with fiction, it's all these other people. And that was the thing that the coaching really helped me with, not just in terms of the the narrating, but the actual writing of the story. It was about the mind-body connection with the character. And the one thing, like I, and Christine and I have become friends throughout this process because we just connected in a great way. Um, And the one thing I tell her all the time that really was mind blowing for me was during the coaching, she said to me, it's not about you. It's about the character. So you need to try to connect with that character. And she said, who am I? Where am I? What am I feeling? And that even now when I sit down to write a scene, I think, okay, who am I? You know, what character am I right now? Whose point of view am I in and what am I feeling? And for me, that was just so amazing because it instantly put me into the mind of the character. It wasn't, and that's what she would say to me during the coaching. It's not about you. If you're, you know, too far inside your own head and you're nervous, just go back to the character. You know, think about what the character wants. Right. 
and that's so that you can portray the emotion in your voice, yes, right? Of correct of each character. Were you like doing different voices to Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's, of course, I pick a book to narrate that has like 5,000 characters in it. <laughs> and that was the other thing, you know, especially with the men, because there were quite a few men in this story that you don't realize these things when you're writing them because you're, you know, you're just writing, you're, you're doing your thing. And I kept trying to lower my voice to be the man. And she would say to me, you know, no, it's not about that. She said, it's about the tone so you can keep the your you know the tone of your voice even for each character but change it up make one talk a little faster than the other make the other one be a little more you know philip is very in control where jeremy is a little more nasally that kind of thing where i didn't have to worry so much about trying to lower my voice to sound like a man. So Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, that's great advice. I hadn't even thought of that. You can yes. sort of, you know, just give different personalities to the voices instead of uh, actually changing it. Because I can't imagine me trying to, you know, uh, read out a romance book. And especially if it was, you know, the uh, one chapter is the man point of view and the other is the, the, yes. the female point of view. And I'm, you know, hi, you know, like, what am yeah. I going to do? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's really cool advice. Yeah, no. And a lot of it is too using, and again, you don't think of it in terms when you're narrating a book, using your body, you know, like, and she would say to me, okay, Think about the character, and Rose Trudeau is the main character. She's well, she's one of the two main characters. She's this very regal. Her, you know, she's wealthy. She, you know, and I have this vision of her standing on her front steps with her head tipped up. You know, so that was my Rose. Was whenever I would get into character as her, well, Rose. And then there's Ray, who's young and she's, you know, she talks fast and she's got a lot of energy and she's she's very animated. She moves around a lot. So I would literally be in the booth with my head tipped up as Rose and, you know, waving my arms as Ray because it just helps you get into that character. Which is why she yelled at me about wearing the noisy cotton shirt. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's totally, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I was wanting to ask, like what kind of advice was she giving you um, even before you started this about the different ways that you're going to be doing, doing all of this um, because you've never done it before. Yeah. How did she, how did she sort of prep you for it and, and that sort of thing? Well, there's, Different kinds of, and again, this, this is what was so fascinating about this process is learning how an, a narrator preps for being in the booth, the actual work of it versus, you know, just getting into character. Um, so, you know, a lot of it was like asking the questions, who am I, where am I, what am I feeling? getting to really know the character. So again, if you're stuck or like what moves them, what motivates them, 
what are what are they about so it's a lot of and for me as the writer that was easy because i had lived with these people for six months so i you know and i i do i'm a plotter by nature so i do a lot of character interviews that kind of thing so that was the easy part for me i i would think it's hard as a narrator you know a narrator just coming in fresh with you know not having the experience of that would be difficult but um yeah and that was really the big was making sure as i was reading because when you're doing like as an author when you're doing a live reading you're just reading you're not taking a second in between dialogue like that was her big thing was when I finish a line of rows, take a beat before I start Ray. So, because they're both women, and even though they have a very different sound, take a beat so the listener knows, okay, we've switched to the other character. Right. You know, not to move too fast between dialogue. Yeah, I can imagine, especially if your dialogue doesn't have a lot of she said, Rose said, you know, or whatever. If you're just doing them back and forth, which is great for dialogue. I think uh, Roland actually wrote an article about that recently, about, you know, not having to have all those things of he said, she said, whatever. If you, if you do it properly, you don't need that. But when you're Correct. with the audiobook, that's a good point is you, you, if you just read it, and especially if mm-hmm. you're one person, then uh, that could get more confusing. Um, right and so you'd have to change you know your tone and that might be confusing for you too like you might need that beat to be like okay now i want to switch to the tone of this reader which is you know reading faster or or more nasally or whatever like you said right right Right. that could get confusing yeah and some of it too i remember i can't remember which specific scene it was but it was a, a very high intensity scene where i was a little too over the top and she actually had me pull it back a little bit. You know, she said, okay, you don't have to get that loud. You just soften your voice. And sometimes it has a bigger effect. So just little things like that, just little nuances that really made the difference. Right. And how long did it, like when you would do a session, how many sessions did it take to get through uh, we did it, I want to say it was four or five days. And what she did, I mean, she was really brilliant with me because, um, well, first of all, there is a ton of practicing that I did. I didn't just walk in and start reading. Um, and this, again, really changed my writing style because she taught me how do they call it prepping the manuscript or prepping the script where you go through and you highlight i I even printed out the notes i highlighted raylin in pink all of her dialogue all of her point of view was in pink rose was purple philip was blue george was black jeremy was yellow all the other characters if they're a minor color they minor character they get a different color and then so like the male minor characters were gray and the male female characters were orange 
she had me highlight any vocal cues. So, you know, if somebody's muttering, if somebody's yelling, she had me highlight all of that in a different color. Um, Body language was another one. She had me highlight body language. So, you know, if somebody's pulling their shoulders back, it helps me as I'm in the booth to know, okay, he's getting defensive. He's pulling his shoulders back. So it really just helps you to lock into the character's frame of mind. So actually what I did was I I had never used good notes before. And if you don't use it, it is just the most amazing little app. Um, I doubt, And again, you can't really bring paper into the booth because the mic picks everything up. So I downloaded the app on my iPad and I... I just on my iPad did all the highlighting. I was able to make notes in the margins of, okay, so say there's a scene where your characters are starting to get into a heated discussion where you can show that, okay, it's escalating a little bit. So I would make notes in the margin just to make sure I was portraying that when I was in the booth. And Christine taught me how to do all of that. And I went through the manuscript. That took me probably a couple of days to go through the manuscript and do all of this highlighting. And then I started reading. I just started practicing. I practiced for weeks. And her big advice to me was the week prior, maybe four or five days prior, don't even look at it. Get it to where you're happy with how it's you know sounding to you and then let it go until you get into the booth and really the reading it out loud like now i will never turn in a manuscript again without reading it out loud from start to finish because what it teaches you is where the unnatural dialogue is yeah yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Reading dialogue out loud is specifically, I think, really, really helps. Yeah, it's all, That's you know, it, 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 oh, my gosh, again, mind blowing, like for and her point to me was it's about breath control in the booth. So if you have a super long sentence of dialogue, you can't na- we don't naturally speak that way. Right. We take a moment to take a breath where I had some super long sentences that reading it out loud, I realized there's no physical way to say that without stopping to take a breath. Like you just, it's not humanly possible. So I would break the sentence up into two or three sentences. So now before I send a book off to copy edits, um, I usually do it between my content edit round and my copy edit round. Before I send it off to copy edits, I read the whole thing from start to finish out loud. So for this book, you were uh, doing the audiobook after it was published, though, right? I was doing them simultaneously. Okay, so it wasn't already published. So if you were making edits to the manuscript, then it wasn't like you'd end up having to republish a new Correct. version, right? Okay. Correct. Because a lot of people end up doing the audiobook sort of after Yes. published and then that would make it a bit harder to uh to make those edits yeah no i think the audiobook i think there was maybe a two-week lag just because you know the audiobook took a little more time in production 
than I had anticipated. Um, but yeah, it was, I was really trying to do them simultaneously, but when I was recording, the book was not out yet. Right. Yeah. That's all. I mean, it's brilliant advice to, I mean, obviously I, I hadn't even thought about all those aspects of it, of, of, you know, reading it ahead of time, making sure, putting in those notes, uh, it makes total sense, you know, especially the highlighting of of different readers because you're going to get confused and you don't want to keep, the more you keep stopping and and fiddling while you're doing the recording, well, A, the the longer it'll take and the more you'll have to pay for it, but B, you know, the more editing will have to happen afterwards. Um, And it's it's physically, that's the other thing just shocked me is how physically demanding it is to do this because we would the first day, like I said, she was kind to me the first day. I think she booked three or four hours for us. We took a break every maybe 45 or 50 minutes. I think the first day we did two hours in the morning. We took a lunch break and that was the other thing. You have to be really cognizant of what you eat when you're doing this because you know, one day I, she, you know, she would say to me, eat light, eat, you know, just a little bit of a small salad or grilled chicken, nothing too heavy. That's, you know, going to give you stomach gurgling or whatever. Like, you know, she flat out said, basically don't eat anything that's going to give you gas. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's good advice. <laughs> but we did have a couple of getting toward lunchtime my stomach started growling and it, you know, the Jeremy, who was the engineer who just so he was so good. He said, hang on. We, we have some noise happening. And I said, my stomach's growling. First, he was like, okay, let's just take lunch break a little early because it happens. You know, your wow. body makes noises. <laughs> Amazing. The mic is, is that um, sensitive to pick that up? Yes. Yeah, crazy. And even like he would come in and we did this too at the height of COVID, which was fascinating because, you know, in the booth, I didn't have my mask on, obviously. But if he had to come into the booth, I had to put my mask on and step out because we were trying to social distance. So it really got crazy. You know, he would hear something with the mic and he's like, all right, the mic you know, either would need to get closer to me or whatever. He would have to come in to adjust the mic. He would open the door. I would walk out. So everything was just taking longer because of all the COVID protocols. Yeah. That's just a whole nother layer of problems. Yeah. 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 Wow. But it's, you know, it's, you take care of your voice. She would say to me, okay, go home and, you know, drink a lot of warm tea. Really don't, don't talk to anybody tonight. Try and save your voice. And boy, by the end of the week, it because and each day we would increase. So maybe the first day we did four hours. Next day we did five hours. Next day we did six hours. And by the end of the week, I was just shot. Yeah, that's another thing I you know don't even really think about is the fact that reading for four or five hours straight is yeah. gonna is just going to give you so much strain on your voice. Yes. Um, you know, we usually with these podcasts, we record for, you know, 45 minutes and I find like I'm drinking and stuff like that. I can't even imagine. And I'm not even doing a lot of, you know, I'm doing some of the talking, but certainly not all of it. And 
probably not even most of it. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's even worse for, for somebody who it's, that's all you're doing is you're doing them all the reading of a book. Most people, when they read a book, how many words was this one? Apparently uh, this one was, it was probably 80,000 words. Yeah. So an 80,000 yeah. word book, most people, it's going to take them like a week or two it weeks does. To, yeah. to just read it. Right. And yeah. you know, you sit in that booth and you want to read it from start to finish every word. Wow. Yeah. So how many hours did it end up being, you know, in the, the finished version of it? Oh, gosh. I can't remember offhand. I want to say it's probably eight or nine hours. Right. Fully um, yeah, fully edited. Yeah, I can't remember offhand, record, though. Uh, you know, if it's eight or nine hours fully edited, how long did that take to record? Well, you already said it's like four days. Yeah, well, generally, she said... For all production, everything, it takes about double the amount of time. So, and, and it's true because you'll be in the booth and, you know, you're just, you're reading, you're, you're doing your thing and you'll stumble upon a word. So then, okay, oh, got to stop. And then he'll back it up and we'll start over. And then, so there's a lot of that. So it really does take twice as long to record it as it would just you know to say just to read it because you're being so careful you know i mean we'd be in the middle of it and i you know my 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 i would go when i made a mistake so they knew like okay you know i wasn't happy you know and i would be reading and if I didn't feel, if my mind traveled or whatever, and I didn't feel like I was locked in, I would go, and they, okay, go back to, and Christine would say, all right, Jeremy, where do you want her to go back to? And he'd say, let's take it from whatever. So there is a lot of that too. And and my deal with Christine before, because that first day I, I, I truly was terrified. Um, and I, I said to her in private, I said, look, if this is a disaster, just tell me it's a disaster and I will hire you or somebody else to record it for me. Like, because at that point, it was such a personal project to me that I did not want me to be the downfall of this book. So even after all the time and effort I had put into it, I was willing to just walk away and say, you know what? I learned a lot, but it's not for me. Um, well, but luckily. Got... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. sorry. Carry on. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, you've got the finished product now. And it's like, what, how does it feel compared to that moment of doubt that you had? How does oh, my it feel gosh. The finished product it, and you think you lived up to it. Yeah, it, it really, I, you know, the first hour I was in the booth, like I realized I really loved it. I really loved doing this work. Whether I wanted to do it again and again and again, I wasn't too sure. But I know for sure if I ever have a project like this where I feel like, oh, I want to do it myself, I would have no issue doing it myself again. Um, But the thing, one of my writing, I co-write other projects and Tracy Devlin is one of my co-writers and she's just an amazing, just a wonderful friend. Uh, She's kind of a lifer, you know, we all have those lifers. She's one of my lifers and I really, I respect her opinion on all things and 
she, after the book came out, she's a big audiobook listener, and the book came out, and she said to me, she called me up, and she said, she said, I, you know, I've written, I, I've listened and read most of your books. She said, I have to tell you, she said, this was probably the best book you've ever written, and I just can't even believe what a great job you did. And I was just gobsmacked. I think I probably just broke down into tears because it, it was, I put so much pressure on myself and worked so hard to get it right that to have somebody that you respect and admire that much say that to you. And even Christine, when we were in the booth the first hour, I stopped and I said to her, how am I doing? And she said, I have to tell you, I'm wildly impressed. And I was like, yay. <laughs> Because I had worked, I had worked so hard practicing, reading the same line over and over again. I probably yeah. could have written another book in the amount of time I spent practicing to get into that booth, <laughs> truly. So, so then that being said, does that mean that you, um, for other books since then, have you done audiobooks and then hired somebody else so that you don't have to go through that all you mentioned that you haven't done that again yeah no i have i have done other audiobooks oh, where oh. i hire somebody else but mainly not for any reason other than i felt like i needed a male narrator for those books so i hired a male narrator for them um you know my lucy rizzo mysteries it was the same thing. I just didn't feel like I had the right voice fit for those books. So Christine actually helped me find a narrator for those books. So I think. You haven't yeah. recorded any more of your own? Nope, not yet. No. Okay. <laughs> I think for this, I, I'm, I'm dabbling with an idea now that I think I'll probably record that one on my own because I feel a connection to that character that I think would work for me to do it. And how has the audiobook reception been for that one? That one, actually, I, I was so thrilled because it got picked up for, from Apple by, uh, for one of their, um, the book I want to say came out in September and Apple was doing like one of their hot new books promotions and they had picked it up. It, it was the book came out two years ago, um, so I, I was very excited for that. So yeah, I, I was really happy overall with the whole, the whole thing. That was they picked that up for the audiobook version of it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so obviously it was successful. It, yeah. No, it did. It did well. You know and. Um, again, it's two years old now, so the sales have tapered off, and it's it's a standalone book, so it's not part of a series. So all of those things kind of play into it. Um, course, yeah. But, you know, when it first came out, I, I was really thrilled mm-hmm. with it. So, yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah, so, uh, so if somebody else is thinking about recording their own audiobook, what kind of advice do you have for them? I would say for the first one, if you, because there is an expense to what I did, because, you know, I was paying for studio time. I was paying for Christine's time. Um, but I had, I had specific reasons why I wanted to do that. But 
there is a tremendous amount if you don't want to go that route. For me, I looked at it as a learning experience, as part of my education as being a writer. Um, And I wanted to learn. I, I just wanted to learn the process from a narrator point of view, that kind of thing. Um, but you don't have to do that. That's what's so amazing with where we are in publishing today is there are so many resources out there. There are books. There are YouTube videos. I can't tell you how many YouTube videos I found of people showing you from start to finish how to set up a studio, how to make you know a walk-in closet, a studio. There's so much out there. I just did not want to go through all of that. I really just wanted somebody to hold my hand through the process uh, because the project was so important to me. So I was willing to make that investment at that point. Um, ACX has just Google ACX University. There are a ton of videos out there. Uh, that's how I found Christine. She literally, they videotaped a voice coaching session that she had done with someone. So there are all kinds of things out there if you don't want to make the investment to, you know, hire a studio and a voice coach and all of that. So, um, you know, a lot of those costs are costs that would be built into if you hire somebody else, like they're going to they're going to have to do the studio. You have to pay the person who's doing the the reading and all that stuff. But so you've done both now. What's more expensive? Was it doing it your way was more expensive than hiring out? Yes. Doing it my way was probably $2,000 more expensive than had I hired somebody Um, because that included the coaching that included Christine sitting because you have to think, she was literally sitting in the booth with me. So she's blocking right. all that time out of her yep. schedule. So I basically hired her to be in the booth with me. Um, okay. So the first time you do it, obviously it's not to save money, but let's say you were to do it again. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need her to sit in the booth with you. Correct. I assume at that point it's a savings, right? Because yes. now you're not having to hire the other people to do it. Oh, Correct. Yeah, I probably would still go to the studio and pay the hourly studio fee, which I can't remember offhand what it is. And they're all different, too, depending on if you're in New York or you're in, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, you're going to pay probably, I would think, a little bit less. Uh, But I would probably still do that just because I liked getting out of my office and my house and being able to focus completely on what I was doing. Cause it was so new to me. There were zero distractions for me in that booth. Right. Um, Christine actually has a booth in her house that she records in. She bought a recording booth and stuck it in her office. And, you know, that's where she was when she was working with me, she was sitting in a recording booth. So, um, again, so many options. That's what's amazing now is you really can do it any way you want to do it. Right. 
Yeah, and that's what I'm I'm sort of thinking in terms of whether you know people that listen to this and, and are thinking about doing it themselves. Um, that's sort of the things that they have to consider. And if they're doing it for sort of similar reasons, where it's a you know it's a personal thing, personal project that it's a one-off that they mm-hmm. that they want to do, then yes, it, it's probably going to be more expensive to do it that way. But you know, people that are looking to sort of save money on it they can do it um and maybe the first time might be more expensive but then you know they won't need a bunch of those things right. going forward and then so it's a, sort of more of a long-term investment you have a whole bunch of books that you want to do you pay a little bit more up front but then you save in the long term yeah i i read an article one of the articles that i had come across was someone who narrated their own books and he did it in his closet and he didn't even soundproof his closet because his clothes were the soundproofing. And he said it works fine. So really, you literally, if you, I think you do need a good microphone. I think that's the one investment I would probably suggest is getting a good mic, doing the research on what is considered. I personally don't know what a good mic would be. I would do the research, though, and find out. Um, but you can, you could literally do it in your closet. Yeah, that, that's a good point. All those clothes would, I, I guess it wouldn't muffle all the sound because you're, you're right there. It just, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what do you do about the dogs and the cats and the, and the, the kids and the, well, and that's, I have a 90 pound German shepherd that, you know, so that, that's, that was part of my thing was, I need to get out of the house. Like today, I sent him to doggy daycare because if a squirrel runs by, it's total anarchy in here. So I'm like, okay, you're going to go play with your little friends because we're doing a podcast. And those are the types of things that I wanted to get out of the house for just so I could not be distracted and and it was good, especially because I was so nervous. I was so scared to do it. I just, I I needed to be out of the house, away from life for a little while. I think we can all sympathize with that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, unfortunately, we are coming up to the end of the hour. So it's been so delightful to hear your story. But um, we're going to have to start wrapping. Um, So, Adrian, where can people find your books and your audiobook? Uh, On my website, adriangiordano.com. There is a link you know, to all the books, there's a link to the audiobooks. It's all out there. The book that I'm talking about is Into the Fire. So that's out there. But yeah, that is it's all brilliant. out there. We'll make sure to put a link down below in the description of this video. And Craig, do you have any, any you. questions as we wrap things up? Uh, no, I think I think that's is really helpful for anybody that is looking to record their own podcast because like a audiobook like i said we have talked about in the past and that was sort of some of the advice that the producers had said is is generally don't do that but mm-hmm. i think in their in their uh defense they're talking about somebody who's just like gonna bring over their microphone and sit in front of their computer and just read their book right and that's right. obviously not what you did and that is not what you want to do if you want to do it properly the way that you did it hiring a voice coach, going to a studio, you know, practicing, highlighting the stuff, making sure that you're, you know, changing the tone of your voice, like all those things, 
then yes, you can do it yourself. But like anything else, it's something that you have to work at. You have to learn. You have to figure out research, do all that stuff, not just plop down and, and do it. Right. And I think that was my biggest learning experience in all of this. And really, the first session I had with Christine, um, she said to me, okay, read me a little bit of the story. So I started on page one, and I read it as I would do a live reading. And she said, okay, no. (laughs) And that's where, you know, we started to get into just each character and what their wants are and what their needs are. And, you know, how is Rose different from Ray? And, you know, Rose is Rose and Ray is Ray. So it's a lot of that. And I didn't realize it. I really, I just didn't, I just thought they got into the booth and they did their thing. I honestly did not realize, you know, I, I feel like they are just, People have no idea how hard audio narrators work. It really is. They're literally acting with their voice. Right. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I had no idea either until until hearing it all yeah. from you. Those yeah. are all things that just don't, you just don't think about. Right. Which is yeah. what they say, right? If you're, if you're really good at something, you make it look easy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and that's probably where the the disconnect is with a lot of people they see the professionals doing it and they think oh well yeah i can read I a can book do that. myself <laughs> yeah sure it's, not, do that. No, it's no problem i got a microphone over here i bought it for five bucks on etsy you know, or whatever yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you get yeah. what you pay for you exactly. do for sure and i mean again that's probably the thing i would recommend i think everything else you know recreating the studio you can do that in your home but I think the importance of a good mic is, uh, you know, that could make or break you, I think, honestly. And I'm, I don't know that much about it, but I, I just I know enough from sitting in that booth that I, I think a good mic is really important. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Thank for you. Joining us, Adrian, with all of this incredible information that you've shared with us. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we could uh, we could speak to you for hours longer, but unfortunately, we have to wrap things up. Um, as we go, please, if you are enjoyed this conversation, if you thought it was valuable, make sure to leave a comment down below. Make sure to hit that like button. If you haven't already, whether you're listening to us in a podcast or watching us on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. And uh, yeah, we will be back with another guest next week. And uh, yeah, Adrian, you've set the bar pretty high, so they're going to have to bring ah. that. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we will see you again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>